Thanks for listening to this sermon from the Image Church. Find out more about us and our weekly services at imagejesus.com. We've been doing uh, this, it's not a sermon series, we've only done one Sunday, the second Sunday, so I guess that makes it a series, uh, of the righteousness of God. So Jay and I were talking about it um, a few weeks ago, and we are just saying in Romans 3, there's just like two distinct parts that kind of reveal this, this phrase. Isn't that like a big phrase? Like, the righteousness. I feel like I should say it in a deep voice, the righteousness of God. You know, and like Romans 3 is, it's a crazy book in the Bible, or it's a crazy chapter in the Bible. And when I was going through it, uh, preparing for this week, I felt like I had to split my week up in two weeks. So Jay actually asked me to preach this Sunday and next Sunday, and um, now it's a three-part series. So uh, besides that, how's everyone doing? Okay, okay. Um, personally, for me, this has actually been a pretty challenging um, week. Um, most of the times when I've preached before, I'm usually my upbeat, optimistic self. And um, this week, it's been a little different. I mean, I can't escape the weight of the brokenness of our world. It is, it's just been weighing on me pretty heavily. So even if you go back a few weeks to the Orlando event, um, I went to UCF in Orlando for five and a half years. Should have been four. But uh, I was there. It, was, it just resonates with me what happened there. And then from there, there was this attack in an airport in Istanbul. And like videos emerging of all this craziness happening. Um, just the week prior to this one, we all know, like there's the two deaths of the young men and then the five police officers and we're talking about that last week and how do we actually deal with that? And then this week, it just keeps avalanching and piling on. Like this week in France, it was crazy. And I don't know why, I've been trying to like think about why it's something about it's different to me. And I think it's because I've become kind of desensitized a little bit to hearing someone killed a lot of people with guns and killed them with a bomb or whatever. But the fact that it was a truck and that I'm not a big gamer, but I've played Grand Theft Auto before and it's basically the same thing, it just, it feels weird. And it's like, I don't, I can't really resonate with having these huge like guns and grenades and bombs, but I have a car. And just the idea that someone can take their car and create so much chaos and sorrow I don't know, it just feels me, it makes me feel like heavy. And not only to mention, like, not to mention, like the coops going on, these collegiate sports rape cases going on, I'm sure you've heard about. Like every week, if not every few days, it seems like I'm getting a new hashtag, pray for blank. It's, it's heavy. And even right now in the room, like we need to pray for people in our congregation and in the room right now for their broken marriages. We need to pray for their loneliness, their blinding rage. We need to pray for cancer. There's, there's so much going on. But, and what's weird is the other big news from this past week, Pokemon Go blew up, right? That's like a big deal. It's the biggest mobile game of all time in the United States. And it doesn't actually surprise me because it seems like a perfect storm of things going on in our society 
where how are we supposed to cope with all the craziness going on and all the brokenness? Probably a mindless game can go a long way to distract us from the present, help us find escape, right? Like it's too heavy just to sit in all the time. You have to like get out and figure it out. And so Pokemon Go came in at the perfect time and it's blowing up. So to me, that just shows like everyone's feeling it in some way. And there's just a steady stream, it seems like, of bad news. The world keeps spinning and turning from tragedy to escapism, to tragedy, to activism, to tragedy. Like, some people try and fight, but it's very noble, and I love that. And God fights for justice. But at some point, they get tired. They get hurt. They get burnt out. They fade. That's just the hopelessness I feel. And if you came in today and you're feeling really great, and now you're feeling hopeless too, that's actually a good thing, and I'll tell you why. Um, in a few minutes, actually. But on top of all that, on top of all that, then you have what Jay preached on last week. And it's the worst news of all of it. It's just terrible news. The news is no one is righteous. No one in this room, in this city, in our world is righteous. In, in Romans 3, 9 through 20, Paul says this, and this is what Jay preached on last week. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, basically saying that everybody are under sin. As it's written, and he's, he's telling this to Jews, so he's, he's saying it's written in your holy scriptures, okay? And it's, this is written in Psalms. None is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace, they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's bad. And it's, it's not only bad, but it's talking to me. It's talking to you. In God's view, everyone is guilty and no one has it right. No one has it right. The cops aren't righteous. The activists aren't righteous. The Republicans aren't righteous. The Democrats aren't righteous. The military isn't righteous. Islam is not righteous. The LBGT or the LGBT movement isn't righteous. And the conservative crowd that devalues their humanity is not righteous. Everybody's wrong. And everyone is sinful. And only God is righteous. Why is that bad news for everybody in the world, including me and including you. Well, in Romans, Paul has just spent almost two chapters pointing out and showing that no one is right with God, that nobody is right with God, because God is perfectly good and we are not, so no one can enter his presence without being perfectly good. We are forever separated 
And you can look around at all the current events, all the social media experts, um, and you can look in the mirror, and you can know that nothing is perfectly good. Although I'll say, it's a lot easier to point out everyone else's not good stuff and, rather than admit that we're not good, specifically Christians, specifically me. It's really hard to actually believe that I'm not good because I try really hard. I mean, I, I try pretty hard. So God is good forever. He's always good. Everything in creation was good. His creation sinned and turned away from God. And basically, we turned away from his goodness and therefore can no longer be in God's presence. We've all, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of his glory. That's like a very popular, famous verse. But it's true. We've all sinned. Everyone in here has sinned. We've all fallen short. So we're not right with God. Why is that bad news? Why is it bad news that we're not right with God? It's because we're not right with an eternally good God um, who, will punish, who will perish. Or Sorry, we're not right with an eternally good God. So we will perish along with all the other evil because God's so good and he's only good that he will have no ungood in his presence, a.k.a. us. Like God is so righteous and good, he cannot have anything not perfectly good in his presence. Of all the news, of all the news we hear, we read, we talk about with each other, this is by far the worst news that we are created by God and we cannot be in his presence. So what's the most important question we could ever ask. I believe it's how can I be right with God? There is no better question to ask. We know that we are not right with God. So I'll put it more specifically. How can a sinner like me be right with a God who's perfectly righteous? Paul has spent so long in Romans on the weight of sin um, that we all are under because unless we understand our own sin, not just sin in general, not just other people's sin, um, not just the theology of sin, but unless we understand our own personal sin, offense, transgression against a holy, righteous God and the just condemnation that that brings to us, we will not understand and we will not appreciate the good news of the gospel. Um, a very smart man who I'm glad he was on our Christian team named Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said, no one can be a Christian without realizing their utter hopelessness. There's not anyone on earth who can be a Christian without realizing their utter, complete hopelessness in the situation that we're presently in. Because you won't get the good news. You won't understand it. So you have to feel the weight and the burden of God's glorious majesty, how we have blown it. 
So Paul actually in Romans is desperately trying to make us realize our utter hopelessness. After 64 straight verses of pointing out how all of humanity is utterly hopeless because we're so unrighteous and God is so righteous, it's like all hope is lost. It it almost feels like the world's already heavy and Paul's just kind of stepping on our neck slowly more and more, 64 straight verses. So like, okay, dude, let up. We get it. It's heavy. But he keeps going. Yet in Romans 3.21, Paul finally lets off and he changes his tone by stating one of the greatest like, contrasting statements you can in Greek. And we tra- translate it as, but now. In the Bible, but now is so powerful. Anytime you read but now in the Bible, pay special attention because something has changed. Something's different. The but now that Paul is about to proclaim is one of the most profound texts in the whole Bible. How profound is it? Another really smart Christian dude named Leon Morris said of verse 21 through 26 in chapter 3 that it's possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. That's crazy. Ever written. If you had one paragraph ever to read, this next one would be it. I mean, just the idea that there's never been a more important, I mean, think how many books there are. Think how many things there are to read. That there's nothing more important. Um, Another guy said this, that if he could have only six verses out of the whole Bible, It'd be Romans 3, 21 through 26. Like this paragraph is so profound. The reason why this section is so important is because it answers the most important question we can ask as sinners. How can I be right with God? But now the righteousness of God is been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. God's righteousness, God's goodness has been made manifest, which means it's made visible, that we can actually see it apart from the law, which means that God has actually manifested and made visible his righteousness before. He, he made it in creation, how amazingly right he is. He made it on Mount Sinai when he gave his commandments down to his people. That's how righteous he is. If, how righteous is God? Know his commands, know his law, and if you do, you will know him. So all the Old Testament, like that's the book none of us like to read, all the Old Testament, all the commandments actually point to how righteous God actually is. How? When God says, don't lie, what God is saying, don't lie, because I only speak truth. When God says don't steal, what he's saying is do not steal because I only give. When God says don't commit adultery, he's saying don't commit adultery because I'm always faithful to my promises. How righteous is God? 
we see the commandments as like a terrible thing, but it's the most loving thing because God's setting the, like this huge, amazing picture about how amazing he is and how much he hates sin and that it's not good. But now, God's righteousness is made visible apart from the law. All of the prophets, all of the law of the Old Testament, they reveal and they, they reveal who God um, was, all right? But they also bear witness to, to something bigger and something more than just God being just and righteous. You know, if God was only just and righteous, we should not be here. Very simply put. Um, from the beginning, he's making this amazing masterpiece. Everything's good. Everything's amazing. And then Adam and Eve, his highest creation, humanity, decides we're going to turn away and we're going to introduce sin into your masterpiece. God would be completely just to just go, okay, crumple it up throw it out, we're going to start again. I mean, he gave Adam and Eve everything. He's given us everything. And yet we go, well, I'm going to, I'm going to look at myself. I'm going to turn away from you. There's got to be something better. You're not completely good. You're not completely faithful. God's completely just because he's so righteous to be like, done. But that's not what happened. Why? Because it revealed actually more about who God, this amazing thing that created everything, is. It revealed that while God is just, we know that he's also merciful. That God is just and God is merciful. He revealed his mercy by setting forth this rescue plan and promising Adam and Eve after they turned from him, that one day through their seeds, someone will come and make them right again with God. It's hard to imagine, like, the, the patience, long-suffering mercy that this God has to be like, I'm not going to crush you, but I'm actually going to rescue you myself even though you've done everything to ruin our relationship, I'm still gonna pursue you. So God, he promised through Adam and Eve that he will not leave us to our own demise, but that this merciful God will redeem, restore, and renew our broken relationship with him, that he will do it, and he will do it alone. We're dead in the water, we have zero hope. We can offer God nothing. So all the law and the prophets of God or, and the prophets of the Old Testament bear witness. You know, they testify on the stand of God's judicial system to the fact that one day the righteousness of God will be on full display for the whole world to see in a different way, in a, in a more full, accurate picture of just how righteous and good God is. What do they testify? They testify that one day someone will come, a seed from Adam and Eve, through the history 
of humanity, someone will come and make us right with God again. Can I get an amen? amen. So they, the question then turns from how do we get right with God to who will make us right with God? But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world, including some Christian ones? What makes it different? Every religion will say, we're not right with God. That's the baseline of religion. Something's wrong. But every other, every other religion believes that the way you are reconciled and right with God is through your own effort to be reconciled to him. You have to do more. You have to do something to actually reconcile yourself with God by earning his favor, by earning his approval. But, but biblical Christianity Christianity based on the Bible, not on the Pope, not on some spiritual leader, but based on the Bible, declares that God reconciled sinful humanity to himself apart from our own efforts. No one's righteous. We can't do it. And yet every other religion tells us, hey, you need to do it. You need to get better. But biblical Christianity clearly states that we can't do it. Only God can do it. Despite our own efforts to blow it still, only God can do it. And that is absolutely the best news of all time, all of history. God is completely right to crush us. But somehow God chooses to reveal his righteousness, his ultimate righteousness through Jesus Christ. So this verse 22 is actually packed with essential truth for me and for everyone here to really hear, to answer the most important question, how do we get right with God? So we're gonna, <clears throat> we're gonna break it down. The righteousness of God. This is the righteousness that we desire to actually be with God. God is perfectly righteous. We are not. We actually need the righteousness of God to be with God, okay? So... We long to be in God's presence. Why? Because we were created to be in God's presence. That's that God-shaped hole in us, the thing that when we never feel satisfied or fulfilled with anything in this world, it's because God actually created us only to find meaning, fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, rest in him. So that you, you will never find it here on earth in anything that's created, only the creator. So how do we get this righteousness of God through faith. The righteousness of God through faith. We can, see, we can receive this righteousness through faith. Well, tell me what faith is, right? What do you mean by that, through faith? That has like a thousand different things that it means. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What is your confidence in that you're hoping for? And what's your assurance in that you don't see? Another question is, so is it just 
faith? Does righteousness of God just come through faith? You know, you hear that phrase all the time. Just have a little faith. Have some faith. And it's always like, in what? The unrighteousness of every person in the world? Like, the unrighteousness of myself? Like, what do I actually can stand on? What can my faith stand on? You're saying just have faith. Faith by itself does nothing. So faith in what? Have confidence and assurance in what? The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Okay, so you're telling me that I need to put my confidence and my assurance in this guy named Jesus and I will be right with God. Well, which Jesus are we talking about? Okay, well, I mean, there's so many different ideas and pictures of who this Jesus is, right? I mean, are we talking about the good guy who said some good things? Or are we talking about the great moral teacher? Or are we talking about the Jewish zealot, the Muslim prophet? Are we talking about the Hindu deity? Are we talking about the homeboy? You know, are we talking about the, the blue-eyed, brown hair, rubbing a lamb guy? Like, what Jesus are we talking about? Because what this is talking about, it's talking about the Jesus that Peter declared, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So when we're talking about this, we're talking about Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> Mary Christ and Joseph Christ did not have Jesus Christ. Okay. Whenever you say Jesus Christ, you are actually proclaiming the gospel because this is the promised Christ, the promised Messiah, the promised one who God himself promised to make us right with him. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying, no, not Jesus of Nazareth, not a historical figure, but we're talking Jesus Christ, the one that came to make us right with God again. It is that Jesus and faith only in that Jesus that makes you right with God. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all. Everyone, all of humanity can have access to Jesus the Christ. That is the best news ever. You don't have to start at a certain point. So it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've thought or what you've said or who you've hurt or how distant you've been from God. The righteousness of God himself is available to you. Every person in this room, it's available to you because it's available to everyone who believe. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Do you believe this? Do you believe the God of all is this God, this righteous, that he's so righteous that he didn't squash us, that he's so righteous that he offered his righteousness to us so that we can be with him. That even while perfect in every way, he doesn't need us. He's already fully satisfied in the Trinitarian of himself in the relationship with himself but yet he still desires relationship with us to the point that he would do everything for us to be right with him everything 
when you look around at this insane, broken world, how do you cope? Everyone's on the side of something. Everyone's struggling. How do you cope? Who do you put your faith in? Because if you're like me, a lot of times it's in yourself. Or it's in, it's in a political stance. Or it, it's in intellect. What do you put your faith in? Do you put it in Jesus, the Christ? The promised one who is the ultimate visible sign of God's righteousness? The one who defeated death? He actually rose from the dead? The one who conquered sin on all of humanity's behalf? The one who's reigning in heaven right now as the king of the universe? Who else would you put your faith in? It doesn't even make sense. It's silly. It's nonsensical. Hmm. You know, in the midst of all the despair going on, of all the hopelessness that we feel and all the hardships we face, who do you believe? Jesus says, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Your heart will not be troubled when you actually believe and put your faith in Jesus Christ. He promises that. Do you believe? I want us actually to sit here and think about it. I'm not moving off of it. We need time to actually think about that. Do you believe? Do you believe that God is real? Are you playing the Christian game? Are you going to church because you want to see some people? Is it just because it's in your calendar? Or do you actually believe God is real? And not only that God's real, but the God of Scripture is real and deserves all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Take some time to think about that. Is this the God that should receive all of your love from your mind, body, heart, and soul. And if that's true, do you believe that? Because if you believe it, you do it. Do you believe that God made us right with him? If you do believe it, I want you to come up and I want you to eat the bread and the wine or the juice that we're gonna put up here. Why do we do that? It's because if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you will know and remember him and honor him knowing that he took your place, that his body was broken for you so your body didn't have to be broken, that his blood was spilt for you so your blood wasn't, didn't have to be spilt. He took on all your condemnation he took on all your unrighteousness and then he gave you God's own righteousness. And so when you take it, you think, wow, how can this God be real? How can he be so merciful 
and loving despite my every attempt to push him away, despite my every attempt to forget about him, despite my every attempt to live my own life the way I want to do it and be my own God. For everyone else, do not take communion lightly. God does not take it lightly. God did not take the death of his son lightly. It's a very serious thing. So if you're in sin right now against God, if you're opposed to God right now, if you're in sin against someone else in this room, confess it to God. Ask for the Spirit to guide you before you take communion. But if you believe it to be true, after you've taken some time to sit there and think about it, please come up. So do not jump up. As the band comes up here, I want you all to sit in your seat, pray, ask God, do I believe this? Examine yourself. Examine your heart. Do you believe?